now we have something. I had my mic on the wrong, the wrong switch, so it's a good thing that the sound guys had me muted during worship, or you guys would all have been hurting. All right. Well, I was thinking this week about various sayings and idioms that I heard growing up, and these kind of come to light if, if any of you are from another country and you come here and you hear some of the things that we say and we don't think a lot of them, right? Uh, you may kind of shake your head and, and look at us, and that's one of the things kind of maybe... The, the humorous side of missions sometimes is that uh, we go over and we may say something without really realizing it and people look at you and, and they're very confused. And so if you don't know what I'm talking about, here are a few that you may have heard before. Heard it straight from the horse's mouth. Right? Have you ever said that? Uh, those of you who grew up around the time that I did, does anybody know who Mr. Ed is? All right. Who doesn't know who Mr. Ed is? Raise your hand. All right. Really? Kids? I can't, teenagers, do you know who Mr. Ed is? Really? That's impressive. I'm surprised about that. So Mr. Ed, you know, as a kid, Mr. Ed talking, I didn't know if a lot of people had horses that talked, so they would say that. Heard it straight from the horse's mouth. I heard it from the source, right? What about cost an arm and a leg? I heard that a lot growing up, and I say that a lot. My kids hear that all the time. What about sit tight? You heard that one before? I, I grew up hunting with my dad, and when he would see a deer and we, I was really young, he'd say, sit tight, I hear something. And, and it's, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to be straining or what I'm supposed to be doing, holding myself, I don't know what's going on. Hit the books, an idiom I probably should have heard more in high school and college, but hit the books, you're not physically hitting a book, are you? Right? But it's a call to study, clear as mud. That was one of my dad's favorite. Well, that was clear as mud. Right? What does that mean? It, it doesn't make sense. It's not clear. Once in a blue moon, not very often. Right? Once in a blue moon, and you can hang your hat on it. Right? Okay. Yeah. Several of you say that one. You can hang your hat on it. What does that one mean? It's for sure. You can count on it. Right? This is assured. On our passage today, Paul makes a statement that as believers we can hang our hat on. Turn to Romans eight. We're back in Romans again, and Paul makes a statement. I want to read our passage. We're going to be in Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. As we read it, I want you to see if you can spot the statement that he makes that as a believer we can hang our hat on we think about how do we know if we're a Christian or not? How do I know that I'm a believer? So Romans 8, verses 9 through 11, what is it that Paul's going to tell us that we can hang our hat on? The apostle writes this. He says, you, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So what is it? Did you catch it? What's the truth that Paul gives us that we can hang our hat on to know whether or not we are a believer? The Spirit. Right? Verse, verse 10. If, or Sorry, verse 9. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. We can hang our hat on that truth. Because what that is, as believers, what we'll talk about this morning is that the, the Spirit's presence in our life is a present reality that shows Christ's past work 
And it's what we can have confident hope in his future promise of what he will do. So this statement by Paul causes us to look backwards and to look forwards in our walk with Christ. It is a present reality for all who believe. So let's take a moment, let's just walk through these three verses, and then we'll talk about three truths that we find in them. So look at verse 9. He starts out by saying, however, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. This is an, an important shift that Paul's making here. Last week when Pastor Bill taught from uh, uh, chapter 8 verses, I think it was 5 through 7 was what he, he focused on. He was talking about this, this difference when uh, that those of the world, those are unbelievers, are focused on things of the world, of the flesh, whereas the believer, the child of God, is focused on things of the Spirit, right? And, and, and Pastor Bill taught us rightly about the fact that it is one or the other. There's no in-between. There's not a carnal Christian. It's not like some of us are Christians, but we just don't live for the Lord. We have no desire for the Lord. There's no in-between. Either you are a believer or you're not a believer. You're living for the things of the Spirit or you're not. And so Paul makes a shift here in verse 9. He says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So he's writing to the Roman Christians because they are just that. They are Christians. They are believers. They have the Spirit. There's no middle ground. He says, listen, I'm writing to you because you are believers. You are children of God. And he says, if in fact, if in fact, that if there carries the weight of sense. So, so Paul's not saying, well, this is the reality if this is the case. Paul's saying, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit since the Spirit of God dwells in you. So that's the weight of that if there, is sense. This is the reality. This is the truth. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And he makes that statement, the key statement for our text today. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, in verse 10, he starts thinking about this tension that we live in. Those of you in here that are believers, we live in a tension between death and life. A tension between death and life. Look what he says in verse 10. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So there's this tension that we live within. When he says that the body is dead because of sin, he's referring to the physical body. He's referring to the fact that, that while we are free from the dominion and the penalty of sin as believers, we're not free from the effects of it. We still confront and we still encounter and we still have to deal with death. Just like Mike told us about earlier. Onesimus' father-in-law, he passes. We all have to deal with death. We live in a culture that so tries to ignore it and so tries to look elsewhere and so tries to defy it and to fill our minds with everything but that, that we don't really know how to deal with it when it comes. But we all have to face it. We all have to face it. None of us escape death. And Paul says that, that your mortal bodies will die. The physical death he's talking to. But although the body is dead because of sin, what is, look at the next statement. The spirit is life because of righteousness. The spirit is life because of righteousness. It's the reality of life that the spirit gives. Now look what it says. The spirit, what? Is life. Not just that the spirit brings life or the spirit causes life, which he does, but the spirit is life. So the body, we have mortal bodies that will experience death, that we are dead because of sin, the effects of sin, but the Spirit is life. Why? Because of what? 
Because of righteousness. Flip back if you want to or just listen to Romans 3. You remember when we were in Romans 3, 21 and 22? What is this righteousness that brings life? Is it, is it our own doing? Is it something that we do the way we live? No. Romans 3, 21 and 22, Paul wrote, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness that, that brings life is the righteousness that has been imputed, been set upon us, given to us by God through faith in Christ. It is the righteousness that we gain through Christ's righteousness. The divine exchange that he took on our sin and gave us his righteousness. So although we learn later in Romans that the wages of sin is death, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So although the wages of sin is true and physical death, we have been made alive to seek the things of God as believers. So what that tells us is this, is that if you have been made alive, right, if you have been saved, if you had the Spirit dwelling within you, then you're going to see the signs of life in you. You're going to have that desire to worship. You're going to long to worship. You're going to long to sing and to praise God. You're going to have a desire for the Word. You're going to want to know more about God. You're going to love fellow believers. You're, you're going to have a care for them. You may not know them well, but you're going to have a genuine concern and care for them. Because they are people of the Lord. They are part of your family. You're going to seek holiness. You're going to long to grow more like Christ. You're going to have a concern for that. You're going to have a concern for the lost. That you're going to, you're going to hear a testimony. You're going to see a pastor from a land that you've never met and a, a language that you don't speak about. You're going to hear testimonies of someone who, who's coming to Christ. And you're going to be moved by that. It's going to encourage you. It may make you want to go because, because you have a longing for the things of the Lord. You've been made alive to those things. The Spirit has brought life to you. In verse 11, he comes back again. The apostle says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Again, it's the same thing. It's the weight of sense. Since the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ will also give life to your mortal bodies. This is a, a reality. It's a reality for us that we live in. So the question, how, how important is the resurrection? But we can't miss that. We can't miss that. And we think about life and we think about life eternal. How important is it? Paul called it the linchpin of Christianity in 1 Corinthians 15. He said that, that it is what validates all that Christ did and taught. It is what Christianity ma is made or broken by. In 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Peter describes it as the living hope that we're saved unto through the resurrection of Christ. We follow Christ and we follow Christ in the hope and the surety that he is the resurrected Christ. He is the living Lord. And he says here, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. See, he just said that our bodies will confront death. 
we will die. We all have to wrestle with that. We all have to encounter it. But here he says what? The, the surety is that he will give life to your mortal bodies. It's not an if. It's not, well, he may. No, this is a promise made by the promise keeper that we can count on and we can trust in. Hear, hear the words of our Lord in John 11. If I can get there, let's see here. Mark, John 11. This is the account where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And he comes upon the scene. A lot of you know the story. Jesus comes upon the scene. Lazarus has been dead. In verse 21, Jesus and Martha have this exchange. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now here's the question. Do you believe this? Jesus asked Martha that. He looks at Martha and says, do you believe this? Martha's reply is, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. But the question remains for each one of us. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and, and though you may die, yet you shall live. Do you believe this? Do you gather today believing this? Do you trust in the resurrecting power of our Savior? I mean, you need to know, some of you sitting in here today, you're not believers. You're not followers of Christ. You've never turned from your sins and turned to Christ. And you need to know that there is life in no one outside of the name of Christ. It's by Christ and Christ alone and Christ only that you're saved. And so that surety, that confidence that I can live and know that I'm going to confront death one day, but ultimately, though I die, I shall live in Christ. He will raise my mortal body. He will bring life unto me. That confidence, that surety is only through salvation in Christ alone. And so some of you do not have that confidence, and I would call you to that today. I I would ask you and plead with you, turn your life to Christ. Turn from your sins. Trust in Christ alone. It's by faith you're saved. Not by works. Trust in Christ today. Confess what Martha confesses. Lord, I believe that you are the Christ and the Messiah. You are the Christ and the Messiah. So what are three truths? Three truths we gain from this passage. Here's the first one. Is that believers live in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Verse 9. Believers live in the Spirit, not of the flesh, there is a clear difference in the life of the believer. We are no longer bound to and characterized by the flesh. Pastor Bill touched on this last week, and we're going to touch on it again because it is so crucial for us to examine ourselves. We have to understand there is a difference in the life of the believer because why? Because the Spirit dwells within you. 
I mean, that doesn't logically make sense how we can look and go, okay, the Spirit is evidence of, of my salvation and the Spirit dwells within me, but yet there's no difference. I look totally the same as everybody else that's not a Christian. How can that be? It's not. It's not. Think about the words of, of Christ in Matthew 7. He says that, that a tree is known by its fruit. It's known by its fruit. You will produce that which you are. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. It has passed away and the new has come. There is newness of life. You are a new creation in Christ. Philippians 1.27 says, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Not worthy of the approval of the world. Not worthy of everything that the world will say, This is good and this is right and this is worthy. No. It says, Let your, man- let your manner of life be worthy of Christ, your Savior, of the gospel. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 speaks of the worldly way of life that we once lived until God came in and changed us and made us alive. Jesus makes a difference in your life. When Paul describes in verses 1 through 3, he says, Remember how you once walked, but God being rich in mercy. There's a difference. There should be a difference. There should be a time where I can look and go, Man, this is how I once walked. This is how I would walk if I was an unbeliever. But I'm not. I'm a believer and instead I walk in a manner worthy of Christ. I walk in a way that glorifies him and I live for him and I'm pursuing him. James 2, 14 to 25. James says, I want to see your faith by the way you live. You're going to tell me that you have faith but yet there's no works? No. I can see, I should be able to see an evidence of your faith by your works. We're not saved by works but our works show that we have been saved. James says, there's the evidence for you. 1 John 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And John is very blunt. John looks and he says, listen, people of Grace Baptist, people uh, that claim Christ throughout America, if you say that you follow Christ but you walk in darkness, you walk as the world walks, then guess what? You are a liar. You're a liar. That's that not me. That is the Bible. If that offends you, too bad. God's word looks at you and says that if you say you're a Christian and you worship and you sing and you lift your arms this morning, but yet you walk out of here and you walk in darkness and you live like the world. And John says, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. The truth is not in you. Listen, we can't stress this enough. Growing up in the Bible Belt, knowing about God is not sufficient for salvation. It is not sufficient for salvation just to come to Grace Baptist Church and sit in here and listen to sermons and hear testimonies and sing. It's not sufficient for salvation to go sit in a Bible study to learn how to care for one another. Christ alone is sufficient for salvation. There's a difference. Oh, let, let Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 13 be the words you hear from Pastor Bill's sermon last week and this sermon this morning where Paul writes, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves that Christ Jesus is in you? Examine yourself. If it's making you nervous this morning, examine yourself. What's it going to hurt? We can't play religious games. There's too much on the line. Your soul is on the line. The souls of 
men and women in Tanzania are on the line. The souls of the Quebecois are on the line. Let's don't play religious games. Let's pursue Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and live our lives in a manner worthy of Him, trusting in Christ alone. The second truth, the Holy Spirit, is in, the Holy Spirit in you is evidence that you're a believer. This is important because sometimes we can look to the wrong evidence. So, so what that means is having it all together is not the evidence that I'm a believer. Being morally perfect, that's not evidence. Having an easy life, that's not the evidence either. Feeling like a believer, that's not the evidence. There are mornings I get up and I don't really feel like it. You? Sure. Feeling is not evidence. The Holy Spirit's presence in your life, that is evidence of being a Christian. No spirit, no salvation. The Spirit's present in you, presence in you is how we know we are children of God. In verse 16, Romans 8, we're not there yet, but it says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness that we are children of God. But how do we know? How do we know? Sometimes we just don't feel like it. There's times where we feel really spiritual, and there's times where we're moved by worship. How do we know that it's not just a feeling? How, how do I know that... That the Spirit is working in me. Let me just give you four really quick things. Four, four really quick evidences that you can know that the Spirit dwells within you. Here's the first one. is that There's a freedom from the dominion of sin. There's a freedom from the dominion of sin. So if you go back to Romans 8, 2, you, you see the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. In Galatians 5, 1, and then on down through, and specifically in verse 13. Paul talks about that it is freedom for which Christ has freed you. Therefore, do not, do not subject yourself again to the yoke of slavery. There is freedom from the dominion of sin in your life. You no longer serve sin as a master. Here, the second evidence is that you should see fruit of the Spirit in your life. Fruit of the Spirit in your life. So Galatians 5.22, where Paul lists out, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is not a lemon. You heard that before? Right? That's the fruit of the Spirit. So do you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Do you see those things in your life? Do you see those things growing and, and you're like, man, I'm a lot more patient than I used to be. God has given me a spirit of self-control in that area. God's helped me to be kind to that person. Do you see that in your life? If the Spirit is present, you will see these fruit in your life. The focus of your life will be the third mark or evidence. So Romans 8, 5, and 6. Again, Pastor Bill dealt with that last week. The focus of your life. Paul, Paul talks about the, uh, the contrast of living according to the flesh, setting your minds on the things of the flesh, as opposed to living according to the Spirit and setting your minds on the things of the Spirit. What is the focus of your life? Is your life in general, is the trajectory of your life more towards the things of the world and the things of the flesh? Or is the trajectory of your life more towards the things of the Lord, the things of the Spirit? So the focus of your life should look different. And then finally, do you see a fight with sin? 
a fight with sin, a fighting with sin. Galatians 5.17, Paul writes that for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. If the spirit lives within me, there should be a fight with sin. I know as pastors, we sit down and, and people come in, they talk, I'm just struggling with sin, I can't, I can't beat it. And usually, typically, one of the first things we'll say is, that's great. Like, we're glad you're fighting. We're more worried that if you're just wallowing in it like a pig. If you're fighting it, man, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit. That's evidence that you long for holiness, that you long for righteousness. We should see that if the Spirit is dwelling within us, we should see a fighting against sin. Now, the important question is this, is if I don't see any of those evidences in me, if the Spirit does not affirm within me that I'm one of God's children, that's the question. What does that mean? It means very simply that I would say you need to turn to Christ. Turn from your sins and trust Christ. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the promise of Scripture is you will be saved. You will be saved. The third truth we learn from this passage is that the Spirit's presence fills us with confident hope of eternal life. The Spirit's presence fills us with confident hope of eternal life. This this should absolutely change the way we live our lives. This should absolutely affect everything that we do. See, see when he writes this, he's directing our gaze forward. That, he would, that we would look forward and say, listen, I know this is a present reality. Christ in me. The, the past reality is that I was saved. That, that God did a work of salvation in my life. And in, in verse 11, he's saying, listen, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. He's saying, listen, look ahead. You're going to confront death. You're going to wrestle with it. It, it does await you at some point. But Christ will raise you he is life don't miss the certainty of the resurrection power of christ don't miss it when christ comes to lazarus tomb he doesn't ask him to come out he doesn't have his willy-nilly prayer and hopeful well i just hope he can come alive he comes to the tomb and he commands him and lazarus obeys he comes out he reigns supreme over death. John eleven twenty six. he says that all who believe in him will live. He doesn't say they might live, you might experience it. He says you will live. Acts 2, 24, I absolutely love this. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God raised Christ up, loosing the pains of death because it wasn't possible. It was incapable of holding our Lord. That's the resurrection power of our Christ. And Paul writes here that life will be given to your mortal bodies. Listen, life holds all kinds of twists and turns. It may not work the way you want it to. You may encounter days so dark that you don't know how to make it to the next day or what you're going to do or how you're going to handle it. But believer, you do not ever live without hope. You live in the life-giving power, the resurrected Savior. So the same Savior, the same God who gave life to those dead bones, that valley of dead, dry bones that we heard of, 
And he speaks life and the breath of God comes into them and they rise up a great army. That same God is the God we worship. That same God is the God who rose victorious from the grave. That same God is the one who dwells within you that is life. And it's the same God that will hold our life in his hands so that when we face death, when our mortal bodies die, we will see life and we will stand again before God Almighty. That's our God. That's our God. And that should change the way we live. He is not a dead God. He is a living God. He's a God that that holds all power. In Him is life and life abundant. How does it affect my life? It reorients my focus. The things I live for are different. The way I live is different. It fills me with a bold, courageous faith to go without abandon, to take up my cross, to leave the nest. It should influence us to say there are people in Tanzania who are serving a works-based false god going to hell. And I want to go tell them. There are people living in Columbus who are acquiring stuff and stuff and stuff and building material possessions and building homes, beautiful yards. And they don't know the risen Savior. They don't know the Spirit dwelling within I want to leave and go. I, I, want to, I want to go to Quebec. Why does it influence you that way? How, do, how does this truth influence us to do that? Because, brothers and sisters, this is not all there is. This life is not all there is. And you and I need to stand up and rebel against the idea that we live only for today. And we live only to acquire the latest trends and the latest fashions and the most money and the best toys. For some of us, it may mean we move to Haiti. For some of us, it may mean that we sell the toys and we give it away for those in need of the gospel. For some of us, it may mean that we move to Colonial Village. For some of us, it may mean that we move to Tanzania to become a church planter that they need. I, I, I want to be one who goes. I, I want to be one who lives without abandon. I want our church to be a church that goes and lives without abandon because we don't fear death. We don't fear it. I, I want us to be a church that says, you know what, if, if God calls me to go live somewhere else, that's okay. I love you, and I love this church family. I love this building. It's so pretty. This church building will burn one day. Let's go. Let's, let's leave the nest. Let's, let's go and take Christ, the risen Christ, to the nations. Let's go to Tanzania. Let's make his name known. I came across this story this week in preparation. It just stirred my heart. In 1631, Robert Bruce was sentenced to die for preaching the gospel. So the day of his execution... 
he asked his daughter to cook him an egg. And so she cooked him eggs and sat down and they had breakfast and he enjoyed it so much he said he almost asked her to cook a second. And when he got done eating, he looked at her and he said, I breakfasted with you this morning. I will eat supper with Christ tonight. We have nothing to fear. We serve the risen Lord. We read truths that the Spirit of Christ dwells within us. The one who is life and who will give life to your mortal bodies. I'm convinced God is or will call men and women from this body to go around the globe. For some that may mean we don't see you for a year or two years or three years. Some could perish. But we live in the truth that our God is the living God and He will bring life to your mortal bodies and so be it. Because I want to tell you this morning that if any of us in Christ die in Christ for the cause of Christ, that which we lose is nothing in comparison to the reunion when we stand shoulder to shoulder and praise our God. Let's live without abandon for the glory of God in the presence of our King living within us who will bring life to our mortal bodies no matter what the future holds. Let's take the gospel of the nations. Let's pray.